Hello, friends, and welcome to Bet on You Radio, where every episode we share an inspirational story from an amazing person to help give you the tools you need to bet on yourself and win. Angie, how's the week been going for you? It's been a great week. I started something new that wasn't new, but I'd really forgotten how to do it, so it's still new. What's what is this? <laughs> I know the cliffhanger. What is this newness? <laughs> Yo- yoga. Yo- oh, yoga. Yoga. Okay. I love yoga. During the pandemic, my husband and I got really deep into like hot yoga. You know, mm. like the Bikram style style yoga. And there's a yoga studio that just opened up that we're like, we gotta try this. And so I hadn't been in yoga like a studio for months. Now, was um, this part of your New Year resolu- New Year New Year's resolution, or is this just something you yeah, just want to get back into? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Like I remember doing it during the pandemic, and it was just so. Like mentally clearing for me, and so just trying to get—I don't know—I need to start something in the new year. What about you? What are you doing this, well, this new is, year? This is actually—I'm going to ask you for some advice here that hopefully some other people get as well. Because I don't know about you, but I know I personally have already fallen off my New Year's resolution bandwagon. Uh, I was going to try completely. To, com- like, is it a hard com- landing? Not, com- not, or not what? a hard. Like, I just—I wanted to do something every day, you know, something healthy every day, and recently I didn't. And what did you do? I, nothing. That was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did nothing at all. And so the, the thing is, is like, I know a lot of people when they have this resolution, the first time they kind of mess up or don't stick to it, the instinct might be to be like, well, oh, well, that didn't work back to the way we always were. But I'm realizing that, you know, self-forgiveness is a big part of achieving goals. And so I've forgiven myself. I went to the gym the next day. But for you, you're really good at achieving your goals. What are some just advice or strategies you might have for someone who could be struggling? Great question, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. I like, I've shared in the past with our audience that I'm a goal junkie, but a couple of things that I think are really helpful with goal setting, um, first and foremost, make sure they're not too big because if they're too big, it's going to represent a drastic change and it's probably not going to be sustainable. The second is don't have perfectionist goals because it's not going to look perfect. It's not going to feel perfect. And I think sometimes we strive for perfect, like I must do this every day to be successful. It's probably not going to be. And then when you fall off the wagon, you're hesitant to get back up. So a lot of people just quit there. Right. And that's not good. So I think like having, you know, the ability to be, as you were saying, self-compassionate is really important to say, well, try again tomorrow. And I think that word try, like embrace try, Mm -hmm. just try. What's so great you just said is, you know, I've always heard the saying that, you know, perfection is not a human quality. So we shouldn't strive for it because it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say a wasted effort, but it's not what we're designed to do. And thinking of like perfectionism, if, it actually leads us to our guest today because he's told me a lot of things about his ideas around perfection. And I think he said he's going to talk about that some today because today we have Will Kitchen, who if I was to go through this man's CV right now, it would take the rest of the episode. He's done things for IBM. He started his own business, radio companies, Shakespeare festivals, Belgium waffles. And he's just been traveling all over the world. And I'm so excited to have him here today. The uh, what's something you're excited about learning from Will today? <laughs> I'm learning, I'm like excited learning about all his just different. You know, one of the things, a different career paths. Because one of the things I love about people is to know their story and that what one thing led to the next thing and one thing the next thing. And I think anybody who's had such a we'll call it checkered past. I'm sure that's probably not how we <laughs> refer to his probably career not. journey, but <laughs> but but it's like, well, what was the guiding principle that led you from opportunity to opportunity to opportunity? Yeah. That's really interesting to me. I just love to understand people's inflection points and well, career changes. Here's another question I have for you. Uh, if you were gonna have one superpower, what would you want? 
to be witty on the spot. Like okay. to have like the, guy the perfect answer right? to a T-ball question like that. I don't know. Like a spontaneous intelligence. Spontaneous intelligence. How about you, Ben? The, my wife makes funny. I would like to have, like, I don't want to fly. I don't want to read minds. But there are times when I'm at a dinner and there's something that looks really, really good on the table, but I don't want to reach for it. So if I could have like a frog tongue, then I could just grab things. <laughs> but my wife makes fun of me. She's like, you know, you'd probably just miss and then your tongue would be stuck on the table like a banjo string. and It'd be really weird and awkward. So she doesn't like that answer. But I, I still... wonder if she likes the fact like you could do anything and that's what you're going for, frog tongue, huh? Right, frog tongue. It's just what uh, <laughs> the first thing that pops in my head. And when it popped in once, I couldn't get it out. So I just yeah. kept thinking and about it. Then you it. start falling in love with the idea, Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, Will, I, if he was to have two superpowers, I know what they are. Because Tell me about this. He, is, he loves people. He just likes people. No matter where they come from, how they treat him, he has the ability to like people. And he is a master at networking. He is like Jedi level. So I'm really excited today to talk to him about those two things and find out the techniques, the strategies, the tools that lend itself to that. I am so excited, not just for the audience to meet this person, but Angie, I'm excited for you to meet this person. This is Will Kitchen. These are, both of you are so important in my life and two people that I absolutely love. Uh, yeah, hello to each of you. Hello, Will. Well, uh, hello. <laughs> I'm excited to meet you because I've heard your name from Ben and a couple other people, actually. You, you know, make your way around here in northern Michigan. It and is other a household places. name. Will Kitchen? Yes it, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is indeed. So for my benefit, tell me about you. Where did you grow up? What was your life like? Oh, I grew up in Herman, Maine. Um... My father was born in 1901. My mom was born in 1915. They were married over 20 years before I was born. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with grandparents and uh, <laughs> a comp- you know unconditional love, wonderful, wonderful way to grow up. And they basically said, you can do anything with your life that you want. And that's what I've been doing ever since. What a gift to give you that type of freedom. And I imagine confidence in the uh, mix with it too. Absolutely. Yeah, and, be, and then going to college, I had no clue. I was the first gen going to college, and I just went because everybody else went. And then I was forced to graduate because my first wife made me. Oh, <laughs> and, she uh, sounds terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was painful, and then, uh, you know, I just continued to do stuff. I want to go back uh, before Ben chimes in with this question about some of the more details of your life, but just, you know, thinking about that time in our country that doesn't seem of the time to be able to tell your child, go do whatever you want. There's this big wide world. I, <laughs> what was special about your parents for giving? Well, you know, given their ages, they'd gone through the depression. They'd gone through world war one, world war two. I mean, they'd seen multiple changes and they felt that they wanted more for me than just what they had gone through. Mm-hmm. And so they said, just go forth and do whatever it is. You do it. We're there. We'll support you. Did that have an impact on, like, the relationship you had with your friends? Because I assume their parents were probably giving them different advice. Like, you got to go to college. you got to have a career. How did that impact your relationship with your friends? They put up with me. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I've always been very social, very extroverted, so I got along with almost everybody. And, mm-hmm. th- again, they just put up with me. You know, Angie, I've always said Will's superpowers are networking and liking people because he does them both with jedi intensity and skill the uh, where do you think that love of people came from my mom 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, anybody that came into our house, she loved them if they if they were my friends. And she <laughs> After she paid them, them. <laughs> she, yeah, she, she, I mean, cooked for them. We had really? nothing. Yeah, we had nothing. We were poor. very poor, but whatever we had, she shared with everybody and anybody in the neighborhood. Anybody could come in and say, "Hey, hi," uh, you know. My mom. They call my mom Jinx, and uh, she just welcomed it by the open arms, and that's just how I grew up. I didn't. I don't know any better. Amazing too, thinking about that like generosity coming out of a depression, that generosity mindset. But just to be, you know, influenced with that at such an early age. And love to hear from you as you were thinking too about going to school. That wasn't your top priority. It sounds like you had some nudging, maybe, <laughs> to go to college. Well, I don't remember a lot of college, to be honest. With you. <laughs> uh, I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I I, mm-hmm. I did not like sitting in classes for 50 minutes, three times a week, 16 weeks a semester. I just didn't like it. Uh, it just wasn't for me. I wanted to be outside doing things. I wanted to be making things happen. So when I was going to the University of Minnesota for starting a PhD program, I was sitting there and taking a coding class. And you know, if anybody knows me, I'm, I would never be a coder. I, I would go crazy. And I, I just was looking out the window and I thought, I could start a business. I could spend money sitting here being miserable. So I quit. I got up and walked out, and I started a, an IT company. And it's we don't even have time to go through your incredible like CV of all the businesses you've owned and all the corporations you've worked for, because you've done everything from an IT company. It's funny, he's talking about not really liking education, and yet he became a lobbyist for education and testified before the Senate in the 80s. And because you, I think you were saying you were just trying to make education more engaging by bringing uh, fiber optics and closed circuit television to make uh, interactive TV. What was, uh, what were all the things you were doing there? Well, I was uh, teaching K through 12 when I first got uh, my master's degree, and I... <laughs> I never knew I was going to teach kindergarten, but anyway. That's the story. Um, Do you really teach kindergarten, or no, is it more no, organized they, they play? They teach me. Is what I, is what <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. And it was during a time when there was a lot of cutbacks in the public school system because you know there weren't enough students to have. This was in rural Minnesota, enough students for advanced math, foreign language classes, etc. Well, I happen to. I've always wanted to be part of the community that I'm in and to give back. So I was in Cambridge, Minnesota, and the, I, I was reading the weekly newspaper, and it said, looking for volunteers for a cable television advisory committee. And I thought, oh, cool. I like cable TV. I had home box office when I was in college. So I went to the first meeting of seven communities, a collaborative. And because of my vast knowledge and experience in cable TV, they made me the, the chair. It's typically how it happens, right? Yeah, Who right. knows nothing? <laughs> <laughs> Let's put them in charge. Who can spell HBO? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was looking at the model, and it was really a cable television head end in the middle of all these communities, microwave systems going out to the communities. And I thought, gee, I wonder if we could do microwave classes out and student responses back to have two way interactive video. Oh, wow. And so we did. We had one of the first two way interactive microwave systems in the country on a cable television system. It sounds like that you have this really unique skill set between kind of the tech and sciences 
and the human interaction. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because to me, often I hear people like, I'm a tech person, I'm a science person, or I'm an English major, I'm a liberal arts. It sounds like you kind of dabble in both sides of your brain. Yeah, I, I know I'm not afraid of technology. I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I, I worked for IBM for 16 years. I worked for US West Communications for five years. That's a, you know, not a telephone company. So I know about technology. I use technology. I'm not afraid of technology. I, I, it's just a tool. Mm -hmm. It's nothing special. But I really like the application. How can I take this technology and make it do something that it's never done before or it's not usually thought of doing? You know, I don't want to say that I'm, you know, I, was, I, I invented Zoom or anything like that, but we, we put in fiber optics to seven rural school districts in Minnesota. When was this? Oh, this was in the 80s. That's insane, because we still have those challenges in northern Michigan, right? Right now, That we absolutely. don't even have that, and, yeah. And what it came from was collaboration. We went to the, a local small telephone company and said, hey, do you have a ditch witch? <laughs> and they go, yeah. I said, well, are you going to put any fiber optics in? And they go, yeah, well, eventually we're going to do that. I said, would you throw a couple extras in? Sure, no problem. No and, bureaucracy, and you just got it done. No, and, and we would have this... this they call them coder decoders, codex. And they would be in the classroom, and we'd, that's how you just basically send and receive digital information. And um, we're looking at we so we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't want students to, you know, put gum in it and <laughs> put it into a box. And, then all, and all of a sudden, we realized that all of our decoders were burning out. And I go, I wonder what, what why? We forgot to put holes in the box. It got really hot in there. <laughs> like I said, you have an incredible CV. Can we just get some quick bullet points? Like after college, what are some of the things you did? Oh, I was an academic librarian, bookmobile librarian, school librarian, K through 12. I owned a radio station. I, uh, let's see, I, U.S. West Communications and Sales. Uh, IBM, which I was an incredible career. I can't say enough about IBM. I worked uh, for one of the largest Bel Belgian waffle companies in the world. Uh, Which is almost cooler than IBM. I know, Belgian almost. waffles. Like, <laughs> how do you go from the head of learning and development of IBM Asia to, you know, I need to make Belgian waffles and distribute those? We have a son-in-law. A son-in-law? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, and, and because of my name, you know, I... Kitchen, you know, I'd be able to know something about waffles. You would think so, right? <laughs> yeah, I, w I went on... Uh, because I was living in Belgium at the time, I, I was going these. Ki the king of Belgium would have these economic development tours, and they'd go to Japan and Russia, and and I was the only American who would be invited, and it would be a hundred people and one American. What, what do you give credit? Like, how did you get that invitation from the king of Belgium? Like, that's you don't just walk into Belgium and get one of those. Well, again, you know, my son-in-law owned the business, and okay. he, he was doing a lot of work in the Belgian government. And so, because I, I don't know, again, my vast knowledge and experience in waffles, right. uh, they invited me. Yeah, and Angie, his uh, wife was from Belgium. And when they moved to the States, that's actually why you ended up starting Riverside Shakespeare Festival in Winona. Great River Shakespeare Festival. Great River Shakespeare, thank you. <laughs> again, just, I, I would imagine that... The interesting career twists and turns you've taken, you're really not afraid to take on a challenge. Is that a fair oh, statement? Not at all. You can drop me anywhere in the world and I will, I will thrive. Why is that? Is it how uh, your mind works? Is it what energizes you? Is it what motivates you? Like definitely energizes me. I love learning new things. I love new experiences. I love, 
I, I don't even mind failing. I mean, I, because I, I've learned more from my failures, and I've got a whole encyclopedia of those. Oh, uh, can we talk about one? Like, I'd love early career, like maybe a mistake. Oh, I or started. A a, yeah, I st my first business was a two-way interactive television company, an, an IT company, and that that went relatively well. And then I sold that, and then I thought I'd start a consulting company, and I failed miserably. Why? We had no idea what we're doing. Okay, so, so again, so we wanted so, to sell expert advice, and we're like, "What are we doing?" And what do we have to sell? <laughs> what's the so? What's the big lesson you learned from that failure? Oh, oh, don't worry about it. You're going to learn more from the failure than you are from not doing it. If you don't try stuff, you never you never get beyond this little world that you live in. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, my my dad, fifty years from the, with the railroad, and I think that's why he said to me, "Son, never work for the railroad." <laughs> That you was know, the big lesson he that, learned. That was the that. only time he'd ever given me advice. And it was he wanted me to get out and expand and take chances. Because you, if, unless you take a chance, you know, you're never going to grow. When you fail, so going back to like early stage failures, I don't believe that you have the perspective on failure, obviously, as you would right now. How did you handle it? And how did you grow from it? Because I can imagine, you know, typical responses to failure. I beat myself up. I licked my wounds. Eventually got to get back up and get, but do, yeah, can you talk a little bit about how you process failure? Well, in, the, in this one case, it was just, oh, well, I guess I'd better do something different. You're getting feedback <laughs> that it wasn't working. Yeah, this doesn't seem to be working and I'm not making any money. Oh, there and, you go. And you never had the thought of maybe I should get a, a secure career, something that's safe, something that, you know, I don't want to feel this embarrassed or risk failing again. Did that even cross your mind? No. Um, I've never felt comfortable in a traditional job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I said I worked for IBM for 16 years, never thought I would last that long. But every year at IBM, I could take a different job. And they would, they sent me to Belgium for two years. They sent me to India for five years. They, you know, I could do anything I wanted. And that's, that's when I thrive. If you put me, if you make me do the same thing over and over every day, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I, 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 there's just nothing left of me. I'm no longer who I am. Right. And it's, it's having the self-awareness to see that and know you do your best. Because earlier today, you were looking at, at the book, Andrew, bet on you. And you said, you know, I've never not done that. Right. But with that comes this implied responsibility that you've put on yourself to know that, you know, if you succeed, it's on you. But if you fail, it's on you. And that's something you've never had an issue with. Uh, it's, it's only me to that I have to deal with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, it's no so head of HR. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's okay. Thank goodness. I, there's an expectation when I get into things that I will not do everything perfectly. Perfection is not a goal. That's that's a that's just silly. <laughs> it's impossible. It really. is impossible. I mean, people think, "Oh, I want to make a perfect decision." It's like, well, you can't predict the outcome. Like, I had perfect plans going into COVID. Guess what? I couldn't predict COVID coming. I don't think yeah. you saw it coming either. Did you, Ben? It was personally. It was my first worldwide pandemic. Oh, really? Yeah, Funny. yeah. So <laughs> I did. Funny, me too. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Well, well, I wasn't around in 1919. <laughs> yeah, barely. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents told you about it, though. That was That's a bad right. time That's to go right. through yep. this. So I would love to hear from you. You've traveled a lot. How mm -hmm. has travel influenced your perspective? Everybody in the United States should live in another country. Really? Why is that? Because you, number one, you realize that you've won life's lottery being here. 
number two, you really shouldn't complain about the things you complain about all the time because other people have it much worse than, than we do or are different than we do. And you find that everybody in the world has the same emotions, the same feelings, the same beliefs. You know, they want love, they want security, they want a job, they want, you know, they want all these things. They're not different because they there's this imaginary boundary between us. We are all one human race, and especially now we're, we're so atomized. We're not tribalized, we're atomized. And we're so against each other because we don't have the same beliefs, because we're used to being on a... I'm not picking on social media, but on, I'm on this social media site. Everybody, all 15 or 20 or 1,000, believe the same way I do, and if somebody believes differently, then you're wrong. That's mm. just, I don't know, I just don't feel comfortable with that. I want to go to other places where I learn. I learn what they think. I learn how they view the world. I learn what their lives are like. When I travel, I don't go to where the tourists go. I don't want to go see Americans. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting. You say, you know, we've won the lottery in terms of just living in this country, and yet anxiety, stress levels are higher than they've ever been. What do you, what do you, what do you contribute that to? Wow, I wish I were an expert in this and I could talk all about it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just think we put so much pressure on ourselves for perfection. Whatever that perfection is, we have our own mindset of perfection as opposed to just living. I mean, I'm, I'm having the best time of my life right now. I, I turned 69 last month. Happy birthday. Thank you. So <laughs> the latest. 70 this year. 70, I never thought I'd make 70. And I look at this and I go, I have got so much more to do, and so much more excitement, so many more adventures. It is it's important to view things that way, not to say, oh, wh oh, what about my next PowerPoint presentation? Or what about, you know, don't, don't major in minors. Oh, that is Do so not major in minors. Ah, oh, Will, what a great piece of advice. You know, you've had all these ups. You've had these, you know, your successes and failures. You say you learned just as much from both. Were there any trends or through lines that you notice in your successes that you think, you know what? Whenever I do this, it usually works out in success. Whenever I put people around me who are much smarter than I am. <laughs> I've heard that before, right? You want to be the dumbest person in the room. And that takes yep. a lot of intellectual courage to say, you know what? I'm comfortable here. Is when that I, where you are? <laughs> that's exactly where I am. When I went to India for the first time, I eventually had a group of 60 young people working for me. And I would always start off by saying, the only reason that IBM brought me here to India was to raise the average age and lower the average IQ. <laughs> but I have a hell of a lot more of experience than you do, so we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> yeah, and that's, again, that's where you say, like, I, I, you must be really good then at assessing people's talents and seeing how you can fit in. I hope so. I, I, you know, one of the things that I've learned over time, and I, I have a book here, it's called Wisdom at Work, The Making of the Modern Elder. And they talk about menturns. And this is a mentorn relationship, and I'm pointing at Ben right mm -hmm. now. I'm a mentor, and he's an intern. But he's also my mentor, and I'm his intern. Because we, it's a two-way street, and we learn from each other. That is so critical. That, you know, that's the way I view the world. That's the way I view everybody I work with. I'm going to learn from them, and they're going to learn from me, hopefully. 
I imagine approaching that, approaching relationships like that too, is like you really strive then to find the genius in people or the value in people. And Ben said it at the get-go that you just genuinely like people. And I can't say everybody starts a relationship like that with, I'm going to like you and I'm going to be curious about you. Where did you pick that up from? Uh, a mutual friend of Ben's and mine, Andre Alfonso, mm-hmm. uh, Met him in India. He, great, great, great person. Um, I was visiting him a couple of years ago in Australia, and he said to me, "Will, oh, I should back up. I was also kind of struggling with my my life right then because my wife had passed, and mm. she was the you know the love of my life and everything to me. And so I said, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do, Andre. And he goes, Will, the only thing that you've got to do for the rest of your life is be curious." And I have been. And it, and it made all the sense in the world to me. And just to be curious about what people, who people are, what they want to do, what do I want to do, what's the, how does this work, can I do this, what happens if I fail, you know, all those things. I'm just curious. I keep asking myself, why am I doing this crazy stuff? Because I can. I want to go to why you're doing this crazy stuff. Ben also mentioned that you started a Shakespeare film fest, which wasn't... Oh, it was a theater festival. Oh, thank you. And yeah. the film festival. And film festival. <laughs> Can, and I imagine that doesn't sound like it was in your, you know, anything you learned at IBM, but it was <laughs> something that you felt the ability to take on with that curiosity mindset. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, ha- I think it's because I have a, uh, a bachelor's degree in sociology and psychology that has really mm-hmm. helped me with everything. He said <laughs> facetiously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my, my late wife, I met her in Belgium. She was a professional actress and film and theater director. And when I first met her, she was uh, the leading character in a Belgian soap opera and was also in films. And she was the cream of mushrooms, Campbell cream of mushroom soup spokesperson, oh. among, <laughs> among other things. So a pretty important person. Absolutely. So when she moved to the U.S. and she said that she wanted to, you know, well, first I was shocked that she wanted to go to the U.S. with me. And she, she always wanted to do theater and do, do things. So I said, okay, we'll do it. And that's, she helped, as I said earlier, she started a professional theater. We then turned that into a, the, the Great River Shakespeare Festival by getting the whole city of Winona to work together to convince this Shakespeare group to come to Winona. And they've been now, I want to say, 17 or 18 years in Winona. Then we, somebody came and said, well, you've done all this. You've got to start a, this film festival because the Telluride Mountain Film Festival in Telluride, Colorado changed my life. And, Will, you're the guy to make this happen in Winona. And so we did. We, we made that happen. That's been going for 13 or 14 years. And it's not, I have no artistic background. I just can make things happen. Get things done. It's, it's funny, but as Will's talking to you, I think about all the different twists and turns, like moving, you know, across country, starting jobs that you really don't have a lot of expertise in. Any one of those things, <laughs> at least that's what it sounds like. Any one of those things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Any one of those things can be intimidating, and yet you've embraced them all. Don't you think so? It's great. And it's, I just hear, as Will's talking, this kind of mindset of he doesn't let the what-ifs hold him back. He doesn't worry about looking silly. You don't worry about failure. You're just curious, and you keep driving forward. The, uh, if you were to say that you, know, you live by a philosophy, what would that philosophy be? What are you going to do, fire me? 
right? Especially if you're the old boss, right? Yeah. You know, that's number one. I mean, right. really, if you, if you don't like me, then I probably don't want to be here. I always like that. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And our minds can imagine the worst things. And yet the reality, the worst thing isn't going to really hurt you that bad. That's right. I, I mentor a lot of young people. And uh, this this one person who, again, Ben knows, Bryn, mm-hmm. uh, she was, she's a perfectionist. She's a filmmaker and a animation. She's got her own little animation company and just an amazing young person. And she was all, when I first met her, she was worried about failure. And I said, so if this doesn't work, Bryn, I guarantee the sun will rise tomorrow. And she goes, you know, you're right. And she's overcome a lot of that perfectionism. Well, I think it's rub, I rub off on people that are being <laughs> yeah. imperfect. So <laughs> it's just, but it, what is it, how is it going to hurt you? I mean, this is just stuff. These are just things. This is not, this is not your, this is not the world. Our jobs are not who we are. I, I agree. And that's funny though, because a lot of, there are a lot of people who don't take that approach, that their jobs is very much intertwined with their identity. And so trying to d- divorce yourself from that is really difficult. Right. And, you know, I hear it when you're talking about all these things you've done. Community is a very important aspect of that. Huge. You get into the community, you, you know, you ask questions, you just, you know, because you always told me, or I think, you know, if you don't ask, you won't know. I think Wayne Gretzky said, you miss all the shots you don't take. The, uh, what are some other areas in your life where you found community has been important? I mean, specific examples of importance? Yeah, I I'll, I'll give you Traverse City. You know, my coming back here, the first time I, I was here, I was the nonprofit arts guy. Second time I came back, I'm the innovation ideation guy. Uh, so working with NMC right now on the Office of Possibilities is one of the most intriguing, fulfilling things that I've been involved in for a long time. And I cannot think of a title better that suits you than the Office of Possibilities. <laughs> and oh, by the way, we don't have an office. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, even better. The, <laughs> right. <laughs> can you talk about your connection to Traverse City, Michigan? Because you've lived all over the world. Like, what has this space meant to you? How did you first discover Traverse City? I did uh, some consulting here back in the 80s, just a little bit, and always liked the area. And after my wife died, I decided to go someplace where I didn't know anybody, and I came here. And now you know everybody, practically. Yeah, I, I, like, I like to think so. <laughs> he does. I can confirm. <laughs> and you shared earlier, too, that you have obviously great passion and interest in education. Can you talk about your relationship with NMC, which is a Northwestern Michigan College, for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar? Yeah, I uh, started meeting with uh, Steve Rice, who is a, uh, an instructor of accounting at NMC, and he has a, he, he's a thinker, he's a futurist, and we, every week we would meet for an hour or two and just use whiteboards. And we, the more and more we did that, people started joining us, and we just became an ad hoc group. In October, the NMC Foundation uh, said that we could be a, an official organization. They let you? It was like a club? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like a club but, sport? <laughs> but we're, we're, we're outside of the college and the foundation, but in service too. Oh, I see, yeah. Because, you know, and we focus on disruptive education, uh, excuse me, innovation, um, trying to change the way things are to make them better. Because, I mean, all the things that are going on in the world right now, the things that we look at in education, that's a, that's a whole two more segments, I'm sure, that we mm-hmm. could talk about. We need to look at 
solutions that are different. We need to have a culture of innovation and creativity in order to help staff, students, faculty, community partners ideate and innovate to come up with new ways of, of providing learning, not education, learning for anybody in our community. Because that's how we're going to drive economic development. We're going to drive uh, helping individuals fulfill the promise that they have is by helping them dry, develop ideas. So anybody can come into the Office of Possibilities with an idea, whether they're staff, students, faculty, community members. Magicians, local magicians. magicians. Could they magicians, come in? Do you I let know. them in those times? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> but we have found that, uh, that people really enjoy and appreciate coming in and having a group of people listen to their idea and just provide feedback. We don't, we're, we're not experts on anything. We've just had life experiences. And we connect them and we talk to them and help them develop their idea. And I can't say who it is right now, but we, one of our first community members came in and has an idea and is going to partner with an MC on some pretty exciting things. Oh, well... Dang it, Will. I want to know. Right <laughs> Come on, you can release it. They're not going to be upset with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what excites you? Like, what type of ideas excite you? Oh, I, I'm, you know, any shiny object. I, I like everything. That's <laughs> <laughs> I, I, one of my many weaknesses. I, I just like when somebody comes in with a sparkle in their eye and says, I've got an idea. Can I talk with you? Hmm. And I go, absolutely. I want to listen. I want to know what it is. And if I can help in any way, I will. I, I'm, I'm the world's best connector and networker. So a lot of times when people come in with these new ideas, obviously you just said networking and connecting with other people to get it off the ground. What are some other things that, like, I have an idea. What should I be focused on to connect this with other people? Well, you know, we, we do look at things like, you know, lean startup and disruptive innovation and, you know, a lot, we, I mean, we've got a good background, but it's, it's really to say, it's to ask the questions. You know me, Ben, you, I don't give advice. I ask questions to help you develop your own solutions. I think it was early on you said you can never be wrong when you're asking a question which I always kind of keep in the back of my head. And when I'm in a conversation or trying to network with someone, I always try to keep that at the forefront of my mind. The, uh, now, as a Jedi networker, obviously you're connecting with people all the time. And I'm sure some of our listeners have people like, well, you know, I'd love it if I could connect with this person or get my idea to this person. What is some advice you have on maybe a time when you've had a hard time connecting with someone or a hard time getting to someone to get that connection eventually? I find somebody else. <laughs> I mean, I, I can only spend so much time. I, I'm, I'm kind of being facetious but serious at the same time. There are so many people with expertise. And so many, and you want to connect with people who want to share. You don't want to connect with people that are doing you a favor because they're connecting to you. Mm -hmm. um, and you're the best person in the world to connect with people who you really want to connect with. The whole shoe story. Oh, you know. <laughs> I think we talked about that in yeah. my episode. Yeah. <laughs> So it's nothing magical about it. It's just continue to try and find the people that really want to share. 
Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I ran a, a concert series for 10 years in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and I would only bring in uh, musicians who connected with the audience. I think that's great. You know when people don't want to be in a room with you. It's like, why do we all have to suffer through this awkwardness? You don't want to be here. We don't want to be here. That's right. It's not a relationship when it's forced like that. that that's well said. Well yeah. said. Yeah, with along those same lines as networking, it sounds like you spend a lot of time in service. And Ben asked you earlier about community, but my, my personal belief is that we all have a moral obligation to serve a community. And it sounds like we might be similar minded with that. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Absolutely. I just believe in give back. I, I have been very fortunate in my life. I have had experiences. I've met people. I've done things. I've, I mean, I, I've had a great life. I mean, I met the love of my life who was just brilliant and in, incredible. And I'm at an age now where I just want to give that back. I want to give other people the opportunity to experience the same things and to feel comfortable taking the risk to live life to the fullest. And that's, uh, for me, that's just, uh, it's just the way to be. And so it is. It's, it's providing a way for others to, to be better. Or not be, that sounds, that sounds hokey. To, to be able to experience more mm-hmm. and to feel comfortable with it. Or even reach their highest potential. Like, yeah. we're all here for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. Why not try to figure that out? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Expand your horizon with and, it. And if I can, and I, and I hate the word help. If I can be of some assistance... If I can be of some, I don't know, just a sounding board, then I'm happy to do that. I call people like you champions, people who will champion my ideas and perhaps champion me to other people. And so that's that's my turn for you, Will Kitchen. Okay, thank you. How does you. that sound, Ben? Sounds so like... perfect. <laughs> I'm making the T-shirts right now. Oh, perfect, Good. the champion. You know, you love, I can tell you like people. I say that all the time. But people also like you. Is there anything kinda. you kind of? No, there I anything? mean, I can tell you. Like, I just met you, and I think you're a completely likable person. What do you think right. makes somebody likable, Ben? I don't know. Well, I know that you and I, when we do our sales training, we talk about kind of the three steps of likability is curiosity, empathy, and giving back, going first with some kind of generosity. Yes. Uh, but, Will, I mean, in your opinion, what makes a person likable? I care. Is caring. <laughs> I think it was Zig, Zig, Zig Ziglar who said, people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. And it's very obvious to me that Will, and probably to you too, Angie, Will just cares about every person he meets. It's, it's one of his superpowers. Well, it's hard to do that. Again, and you talked about it earlier, especially when people disagree with you. Um, or you get a sense that people have differing views from you. So it's hard, you know, and I think in our society, which is very polarizing right now, it's, it's hard to find that common ground. But if you dig, right? you dig, you're going to find that common ground. I want to know why someone has a different opinion or a different idea or a different thought. Not because I want to change that, but I want to know why they're thinking about it so I can have a conversation with them. Yeah, it's curiosity. curiosity. You you have no ego in being right. No. (laughs) Because most (laughs) of the time I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my oldest son went to school one day and he was going to go toe-to-toe with his teacher, and this was eighth grade, to tell him why he was wrong about something. And I'm like, child, he's held this belief for his whole life. Do you think an eighth grader is going to change his mind by going toe-to-toe telling him he's wrong? And he's like, no. I'm like, then just be curious. Just listen. (laughs) You know, and accept, right? At the end of the day, accept. Like, oh, that's how you got there. And and I think the one thing that I've learned 
<laughs> most recently is that there's a little boy that lives within me. Mm -hmm. And as soon as somebody tells me to do something, that little boy gets mad. And I just have to, I have to realize that, accept it, and just go kind of pat him on the head and say, it's okay, you know, it's cool. <laughs> and, you know. I wonder if, and this is probably a little deep here, but is that like the little boy, your ego? Sure. Being able to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard though, man, that little boy, little girl, whoever is inside of you sometimes. I want to make a transition. So this is going to be a tough leap right now, but we are nearing the end of our program and I always love to learn from our guests, not that we haven't been learning from you, but kicking off, um, I'd love to hear about a book or two that have inspired you, like a well that you keep on going back to, or maybe something you've read recently that really got you going. Well, I, I, have, I have changed the way I do things recently, and I'm consuming books like crazy. Mm. Uh, so these are just some that, these are two. Wisdom at Work, The Making of the Modern Elder by Chip Conley. And it's about the mentoring concept. And it's about reframing your life, and especially as an older person. I'm not, I'm not elderly. I am an elder. And I have things to give back. And I have many things to learn so that I can, and the more I learn, the more I can give back. So that, that's the one that I, I it, it's kind of the thing that I love. The other one is Lead and Disrupt, How to Solve the Innovator's Dilemma. Hmm. And it really focuses on how do you, how can you be a leader and disrupt in an, in an organization? And basically, bottom line out of this is you have to be outside of the organization to change the organization. Otherwise, you get caught up in all the the mess, the processes and tradition and whatever. And you, you, are, you can always be ignored. If you're outside and make things happen, there's, they just go, well, it's just that skunk works group, you know what, that's not gonna do anything. But if something comes out of it, you can make it grow and make it into something new and then hand it off to the institution. It's absolutely so true because a lot of innovative thinkers within organizations, they've already been cast typed right? Yep. <laughs> it's hard to make that type of transparent change. Have, can you share a piece of feedback that was offered to you that was illuminating? <laughs> Maggie Jackman, my late wife, said, Will, never go to bed angry. <laughs> 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 That's a life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, Andre Alfonso telling me to be curious. Um, I, those are the things that, uh, oh, and Maggie also said, live life to the fullest and be open, try everything. And so that's what I've done. She, it, she, she, has, she made me who I am today. Oh, hmm. I love that. This will be a two-part question. Um, we'd love to hear from you, maybe a favorite restaurant in the community that you like to go to and a favorite activity here in Northern Michigan. Oh, Pepe Nero. Oh, really? I love, love it. that. Do you love Just it? Love it. I do. I do. It's great. Wine's great. <laughs> And people always, are great. People are great. Yeah, yeah. We because I go there with Will from time to time. We always have good conversations. Not just and Will talks to everyone, so we know the it's bartenders, the waiters, the the owner comes out, and we sit at the table, and it's just that's how Will rolls. <laughs> and activity. What do you like to do? Um, I go to Bringman Brothers, the winery. Oh yeah, yeah. And we we typically go on a Sunday, and a group of us get together, and we have this huge table, and we can talk about anything, and the only rule is you, you can't argue. 
Oh, I want to go. Yeah. How do we get cool. it? How do we score an invite to that? We're in. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Everybody else, you can come join us. Yep. Last question. Can you share a piece of wisdom that you'd like to offer our audience, something that you've learned along the way, and you might have hit on it already, that you think it's really important for them to know in regard to the risks that they want to take on themselves? Wow. I, I, I've said so many different things. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of something that's clever, and I can't. Uh, I would just say, um, again, don't major in minors. Don't, don't let the small things get in the way and, and worry about them. Focus on the big picture. Do things. Take risks. Have fun. Learn. Ask questions. Just live. I love that. That was worth repeating. That is Absolutely. so yes. good, Ben. Oh, so good. So good. And question, I, you know, we had the Porter Brothers here a few episodes ago, and I asked a question that I, I've been thinking about for a while. And I'm just going to pick a random person from your life. I'm going to pick your mom, because you've told us a lot about your dad and, and your wife. If you were to have a tattoo on your arm <laughs> written in your mother's handwriting, what would it say? <laughs> it's okay. Awesome. (laughs) Well, friends, we were delighted to have Will Kitchen in the studio today with Bet on You Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Will, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Ben, we just featured Will Kitchen. Yes. Your friend. My friend, my mentor. I'm so excited to have him on the air here today. I would be so curious. Uh, did you learn anything new? I learn something every time I talk to Will. And what's great is he can take these big ideas and get them across in just very, very simple terms. And today it was don't major in minors. You know, it's so easy, I think, when we're trying to achieve a goal or go after something to want to look at all the details and learn as much as we can, you know, owning 17 books on minimalism, (laughs) when the reality is we just got to focus on the big picture and keep that at the front of our minds and don't major in minors. What about yourself? Well, I was thinking about that in relationship to just some of the differences that we hold for people. Like we could really um, spend a lot of time in frustration about the small minor things that we disagree on, but let's pull back a little bit and see the big picture, find common ground. You can learn from anyone. And I loved that, just his reminder that if you really want to grow and develop yourself, shut up. (laughs) And ask questions. That's how you're going to grow and develop. Stay curious. And the other thing I thought was great was, you know, when you're trying to network with something and having a really difficult time, I was expecting him to say, well, you have to do this. Like a backdoor, right? Some kind of backdoor. He's like, go to someone else. Like, don't waste your time. You know, your time is the most precious resource you have. So don't waste it on people who aren't passionate or don't, you know, want to give you the time of day. Because someone who's passionate and cares about what you have and when your ideas you're going to get a lot more out of that relationship than you could with anyone else. When he was talking, it just really reminded me of like this whole divine reciprocity concept. Like I, I like to think, I don't know how great I am at it, but I like to think that I am a good person and generous and giving of my time because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe something good and generous will come back to me, <laughs> but that's not the reason you do it. Like right. you just put it out there and you just kind of see what happens and you celebrate the people yeah. around you. And I think... One of the reasons our my friendship with Will has gotten to where it is is just because he is constantly giving, 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 without expecting anything back. But when you meet someone like that, 
you want to help them. You're like, you know, what can I do to make your life better? What can I do to make your life easier? And it's just a great example of that. I think what you call divine reciprocity. Divine reciprocity. Now that's, you know, again, the world answering you, but it's not like you want to leave, you know, again, you want to give abundantly without any sort of expectation with return. But I have found in life that the more generous I am, the better my life is. So it's kind of like if you give abundantly, you get abundance. And what does that look like? I don't know. Get to be, I get to be sitting here with you and exactly. on your radio and hopefully no and meet, meet people like Will Kitchen. <laughs> and hopefully the people on the video didn't see my face because I had no idea when you said divine reciprocity. I'm like, is that something I should really know the definition of? Because I know what reciprocity is. I know what divine is. But I'm just going to smile and nod and hope no one can tell. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. See, it you can okay. Google it. Isn't that the beauty that's, of today? We can Google whatever we want. And that's just like Will's tattoo from his mom. It's okay. It's you know, okay. Whatever it is, it's okay. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Sitting in rooms and somebody says something and I'll grab my piece of paper and my pen. I'll write down, look up this later. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, friends, thank you so much for being here today with Better on you radio we cannot wait for our next episode it is going to be a really valuable conversation to help inspire you to take risks on yourself and bet on yourself 